join me please in opening your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. It's hard to describe the joy of preaching and teaching with you here to look into your eyes to share the goodness of the Lord to see your reaction to the word there is nothing like this moment that cannot be reproduced on a screen I praise God that we're here and I trust that this separation physically for a period has given you a deeper longing for gathering but a deeper longing for one another it's not just the gathering it's the one another it's the love we share because God has shed his love abroad in us it's a love and a passion for one another and so I'm thankful this morning that you're here and to have this privilege let's pray Father, we need your grace as we worship you in your word. Calm and quiet our hearts. I pray that you would quiet mine, that I would be a vessel fit for your use, and that you would do your mighty work with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We are living in times of turmoil our country is increasingly divided over economic issues, political issues. Our country is divided over how to deal with pandemics. And our country is sadly, sadly divided over issues of justice and humane treatment of those who bear the image of God. And this is from conception to final breath. Those words are chosen very particularly. From conception to final breath. Image bearers. And our people, we the people, are deeply divided on how to care rightly with image bearers, whether those unborn or those of a different racial group. It is a sad, sad day that we are living through. These divides have been there, and they are deepening. We need the true reconciliation and peace that God offers. We need a kingdom of peace and righteousness to rule over us as we continue our study of Romans, we will see a one-for-many concept 
that is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A one-for-many concept at the heart of the gospel. In Romans 5, 1-11, Paul proclaimed God's work of declaring sinners righteous and bringing peace where there was hostility. It's a beautiful thing for God to tell us that He will declare sinners righteous and bring peace where there's hostility. In chapter 5, verses 12 and following, he anticipates a question that a typical, thoughtful person may have. And that question might be something like this. How can the righteous deeds of one person be attributed to someone else? How can the righteous deeds of one person be attributed to someone else? So in addressing that type of questioning, Paul uses Adam as a type for this one-for-many principle. Just as Adam's sin plunged humanity into sin, resulting in death, just as Adam's sin plunged humanity into sin, resulting in death, to a much greater extent and with much greater results, Jesus' act, His righteous act, which culminated, of course, in His laying down His life as a once-for-all, wrath-removing, sin-canceling, substitutionary death. Jesus' one righteous act reverses the impact of sin and goes much further. Because that's what grace does. Grace goes further. It doesn't measure for measure. It exceeds and overflows. This is what God's grace does. When a person is declared righteous through faith, and is at peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, rather than being under the tyrannical rule of sin and the fear of death hanging over their heads, they are destined for eternal life. And and these who have trusted Christ are also reigning over sin and death reigning over sin and death. This morning, as we try to finish our thoughts on Romans chapter 5, we want to at least understand this. Ready? Jesus Christ, the author of life, reverses the curse of sin and death by becoming a curse for us. And His work accomplishes even more than reversing reversing the curse and restoring man into a right relationship with God, Jesus' work provides not just life where sin brings death, but provides eternal life. So we're going to cover a few items this morning, and I would say the first and the third briefly, and the second one a little bit more heartily. Okay, three 
concepts that we have to understand. The first is this. The work of Jesus Christ delivers us from increasing sin with abounding grace. The work of Jesus Christ delivers us from increasing sin with abounding grace. Take a look, please, with me at verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. What we want to recognize just briefly from that uh, section, of course we covered this last week, The law did not create sin. The law did not create sin, but rather reveals a clear charge of a trespass. Here's the line. You went over the line. Here's the rule. You broke the rule. The law gives a clear charge about the sin. It doesn't create sin. Sin was there. That's why death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though there was no law there. Adam sinned deliberately and specifically against a deliberate and specific command. After Moses and the declaration of the law, people violated specific commands. In between, there was a violation of the the law that God wrote on the heart. So the law increases sin because it increases the accounting of sin. Verse 16, take a look there please. It says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. We see the many trespasses that come. The more, more the laws are on the books, the more that they're recorded, the longer the list of violations. The list of trespasses of mankind is vast. Think about all the people that have lived on this earth. Think about all the violations of God's law that have occurred on earth since Adam, since Moses. The list is vast. The list of individual trespasses in me is overwhelming. The list of trespasses in you is overwhelming. It's hard to fathom. Verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law accomplished increasing the list of trespasses and the amount of guilt That's what the law accomplished. It made a clear delineation. I have not come under the authority of God. I have violated God's law. It is clear. It is final. That is truth. But God's grace is greater than all our sins. God's grace. 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 God's Grace. You could sing the rest of it, but you're not allowed to sing right now. Stop it. Listen to the test, one of the testimonies of the Apostle Paul 
is found in 1 Timothy. It says this, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This growing list of sins was a fertile ground to display God's merciful and gracious character. Hold your hand in Romans because we're going to come right back. But take a look at Exodus 34 for just a moment. Exodus 34, just for a moment. We studied this passage in some detail last year. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, where God introduces himself. And it's, it's quite spectacular the way God introduces himself. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 6. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So we have this text. God describing Himself as a, a merciful, gracious, patient, loving, faithful God who forgives sins but doesn't clear the guilty. Forgives sins, doesn't clear the guilty. God does not, out of His loving benevolence, just say, you're all forgiven. Don't worry about it. My grace will cover it. That's not how God speaks. God requires a payment. How is our guilt removed? How will our guilt be cleared? How will our guilt be stayed? How will it be removed so that our sins are no longer attributable to us? This is found in the grace of God, but that grace is found in a person the person of God's Son, the second person of the triune Godhead, the Son of God eternally, Jesus Christ. He lived perfectly for us. And He laid His life down as a once-for-all, wrath-removing, sin-forgiving, substitutionary, Sacrifice so that my sins would no longer be attributable to me. He took my sins. The Bible says He became sin for us even though He knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. This is, this is grace beyond measure. Head back to Romans 5. The abundance, the abundant grace of God overwhelms the sinful rebellion of man. The guilt must be removed. 
and it's removed through the one righteous act of the Lord Jesus Christ that he speaks of in verse 18 that we're going to come back to. Now, we just spoke about the work of Jesus Christ delivering us, believers, from increasing sin with abounding grace. Now we want to cover another item, and I said this was going to be the longer of the items that we cover. The work of Jesus Christ delivers us from the reign of death to a reign of life. The work of Jesus Christ delivers us from the reign of death to a reign of life. Now you'll notice this, and it'll be listed on the screens because we've read Romans 5, 12 through 21 a number of times between last week and this week. We just want to see this concept. In verse 12, death spread. Verse 14, death reigned. Verse 15, many died through one man's trespass. Verse 17, death reigned. And verse 21, sin was dominant through death. Now that's not a quote, that's a paraphrase. Sin was dominant, reigning through death. You'll remember that Adam and Eve were to exercise dominion over the earth. So before we head out of Romans 5, because I had you turn back there without reading any of the verses particularly, uh, look at verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign. Those who receive this will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So the reign of death through Adam, the reign of life in those who receive the gift through Christ. We follow in this. All right, head back now to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. God had given Adam and Eve the responsibility of exercising God's dominion over the earth. Genesis 1, we're going to start in verse 26 and go down to verse 31. It says, Then God said, God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, listen carefully, and let them, man, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. 
and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So this is what God created. He created a place for man to demonstrate and to exercise God's dominion over God's creation. But sin produced a curse and death. We're familiar with this. We're familiar that because of the sin of Adam and Eve, there was pain in childbearing. There would be strife about roles. In man's work of tending the earth, the earth would fight against him in this endeavor. The curse of the earth. There's lots to this. Jesus' work has canceled the sin debt of the believer, the guilt of the believer. Jesus' work has canceled the reign of sin over us and the fear of death within us. This is what Jesus' work has done. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This passage speaking about the power that God exhibited that He worked in Christ. In Ephesians 1, Paul is praying for the church that they would understand the inheritance that's theirs, the calling that's theirs, and the power of God that is for them. Verse 20 now. That power that God worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. It's not the end of it. And God seated Him at the right hand, at His right hand, in the heavenly places. For what purpose? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put, how many things? All things under His feet and gave Him as the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Jesus is ruling from the heavens. Jesus is ruling from the heavens. Take a look at Colossians 1. Here Paul is praying for the Colossian church and he makes reference to God's deliverance of them from one kingdom to another. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the domain or dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. God has transferred us into Jesus Christ's kingdom. And we, friends, this is important for us, we as subjects of that kingdom of Jesus Christ are to demonstrate God's dominion during our days on the earth. I wonder if the Bible tips us off as to what that dominion ought to look like. Well, I will give you one hint. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, the Bible says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of meat. It's not a matter of what you drink. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
you want to just extrapolate out, you can just refer to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Why? Because the law of God is ruling within us through the Spirit of God. And so the fruitfulness of God is demonstrated about us in our homes, in our church, in our workplace, and in this world that's so broken. They need, they need the peace of God. They need the righteousness of God. They need the patience of God, the kindness of God, the faithfulness of God. They need the self-control of God on display. The church is supposed to demonstrate God's kingdom rule. The world's not going to find this on their own. As the Spirit of God is at work in us and through us, God's reign of righteousness and life will be on display. You know, my friends, there's even better news than that. There's better news than God issuing His dominion through us in this day. There's better news. The Lord Jesus Christ will bring this about fully one day. Fully. Listen to Psalm 98.9 Before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. He's going to do this. There's a, a picture of that type of rule described in Zechariah 14. Take a look there. So find Matthew and take a left. Find Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Take a left. You'll go through Malachi. Then you'll find Zechariah. Zechariah 14. What we have in Zechariah 14 is a description of that coming day when the Lord Jesus visibly appears and visibly rules. Zechariah 14, starting in verse 3, says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when He fought on a day of battle. And on that day, His feet, the Lord Jesus, shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies between Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west, etc. Verse 9, And the Lord... Will you read this with me? You don't have to, you don't have to shout it. Just say it. Subtly, verse 9 of Zechariah 14. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and His name one. This day is coming. There will be justice. There will be righteousness. There will be equity on the earth. God will produce it. It's coming. It's described very well. We don't have time to look there. In Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 6, etc., it's beautiful. When Jesus rules the world, the corruption of racism and bigotry will be abolished. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, will you please listen to this? We, as the church of Jesus Christ, should not be able to tolerate 
the horrific actions that result in the unnecessary deaths of Ahmad Arbery and George Floyd, we should not try to minimize or counter these grievous acts by saying, well, but what about this situation? What about that situation? That is not the point. Each situation is a demonstration of the corruption and brokenness of our world. Don't qualify it. Don't excuse it. Don't explain it away. That is not what we're here for. It's wrong. It's wrong. And that's it. It's wrong. There is corruption and it's deep. We should see this deepening corruption and injustice is prevalent in mankind. It's prevalent in society and it's available within us. And that corruption has no part of the domain of God. His dominion is altogether different. These events that we are living through and have been going on, but are more before our face right now, these events should make us want to affect justice in our society and it should make us long for the day when our Savior sets all things right. That day is coming and we should not be grasping on to this life but longing for that life that is to come. As we await this coming day, we must be those who dwell in peace and issue peace. Not everyone will take our peace. God says, as much as, it, as much as it's within your power, dwell peaceably with all men. We must dwell in peace and issue peace. This is our job. There's one remaining part of this passage that we need to address before we conclude. It'll just be just a couple of moments. Romans chapter 5 again. Romans chapter 5. There is a verse in Romans chapter 5 that must be, um, we must understand. We need to understand all of them, but there's one that um, stands out for our consideration. Our third item for discussion this morning is the work of Christ, the work of Jesus Christ delivers whom? The work of Jesus Christ delivers whom? Who does he deliver? The emphasis of the passage is one for many. One for many. The one sin of Adam resulted in a declaration of all as sinners. The spread of sin and the reign of death arrived 
as a result of Adam's one disobedient act. We see that in this text. The one righteous deed, which is the culmination, of course, of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, is said to reverse the impact of Adam's sin and provide exceedingly beyond in blessing what Adam's brought in cursing. The word many is used twice in verse 15. Take a look. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. You see the many two times. Look down at verse 19. It's used twice again. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Well, many and many, that, that, that's, that's easy, right? That's easy. But in verse 18, there's a different expression used. For all men. Look at, it, look at it with me, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, all men so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Ace pantos anthropus. Same exact wording in both. One act of disobedience resulted in condemnation for all people. One act of righteousness resulted in justification in life for all people. Ah, what do we do with this? Who has been declared sinners? All people. Who has been declared righteous? Those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that passage kind of throws a little you know, curveball at us, doesn't it? Because it says, for all people, for all people. All we have to do is look at the context. The context answers the question. If you just look at one verse, then you have the opportunity to have a different interpretation. But the context does not allow for a different interpretation. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, you see it? Receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign through the one man, Jesus Christ. And it's not just there. At the beginning of this chapter, he he has recapped what he's talked about to this point. And verses 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous, how? By faith. The result of that is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access. How? By faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice, etc. According to Romans chapter 4, these righteous ones, those who have come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, these ones declared righteous, are all the children of Abraham from all the nations. All the nations. How many of the nations? All the nations. Justification in life comes to all the nations through faith in Jesus Christ, because His work has made it possible for all the nations. This passage is not calling for an understanding of universal salvation, meaning every man. 
this passage is calling for an understanding of how the righteousness of one man can be the basis of the justification and reconciliation for multiple others. And what Paul does is he says, well, Adam's sin was passed on to every man. All have been declared sinners. All act out in that sin. All have the sentence of death upon them. All have the reign of death over them. One act resulting in death reigning. One act of Jesus Christ can cancel that sin. Cancel the reign of sin. Cancel that death. Cancel that reign of death. But how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. How can a sinner be seen as righteous? How can a sinner be seen as at peace with God? It is through faith in Jesus Christ who, in a once-for-all manner, His obedience paved the way. Have you trusted Jesus Christ to make you right with God? Have you trusted Jesus Christ to make you at peace with God? I would like to finish our time of worship in the Word with this meditation. As we look at the world around us, we see fear of a virus. We see injustice in the political world and in the realms of law and order. We see inequities between the haves and the have-nots. We see a broken world. This should cause us to long for that kingdom that is to come. We should be longing for the return of Jesus Christ. He will truly, truly, the right way, right the wrongs. We don't meet corruption with corruption. Corruption needs to be met with righteousness. Injustice needs to be met with justice, not with more injustice. Injustice will be no more while we wait, while we long for Him. We must be living to demonstrate His kingdom of peace. People need to see His peace in us. People need to see His peace among us. And people need to see his peace through us. In other words, offered to them. God's peace offered. Think of it. Um, think of this, my brothers and sisters, when you're posting on social media. People need to see God's peace in us, among us, and through us. Think of it when you're responding to a blog post. Think of it when you're answering an email. Think of it when you're making a phone call. Think of it when you're standing in line at Lowe's. Have you seen those confusing lines? They're confusing. But I, you know, I, ultimately you find the little square you're supposed to stand in. Well, some guy the other day just didn't know where he was going. He got, kind of put himself at the front of the line. And one of the people in line just started flipping a nutty. He was just going nuts. Listen, this is, this is our real life. 
we, we get to go to Stop and Shop still. We still get to go to Lowe's. We're, yay, our freedoms. Um, when you're there, when we're there, let people see the peace of Christ in you. We must be the ones that are displaying this otherworldly kingdom because if they don't see it from us, the church, and I'm not talking, I'm us and other people that are born again, they're not going to see it in this world. Let's pray together. Father, we need you and desire your grace and help. In Jesus' name, amen.